The walk of a Christian is to be with wisdom as we go through this life. For the great apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning there in verse 15, he said, see then that you walk circumspectly. I understand that word to mean exactly or accurately. And so Paul was saying that a man must walk exactly or a man must walk accurately. And then he says, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The Apostle Paul says, because time is fleeting, and because the days are evil, we must make the very best use of our time. You know, very sadly, too many people today are wasting not only their time, but they're wasting their lives by failing to exercise wisdom from day to day. A passage of scripture that we're very familiar with, I'll quote at this time and then make a comment or two about it. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul writing to the young evangelist said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. We quoted that verse of Scripture to say this, that since the Word of God claims to equip man unto every good work, then it is only natural to assume that it provides for you and I some sound advice concerning daily living. And indeed it does, especially in the book of Proverbs as found in the Old Testament. The purpose of our study this evening is to introduce the book of Proverbs as a wonderful tool, as a source of great wisdom, and also to encourage Christians to utilize this source in our efforts to walk wisely from day to day. In understanding the purpose of the book of Proverbs, we find that it's clearly stated in the first six verses of the book that we read in our introduction just a moment ago. But we'll sum it up this way. What we read about itself is, that is this purpose, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. It is designed to give the simple or the naive prudence. It is designed to give the young man knowledge and discretion. And it's also designed to give the wise man increased learning and the man of understanding wise counsel. In summary, or simply put, it is designed to make a person wise by learning how to act wisely and how to act righteously day by day. The book of Proverbs teaches us how to treat others and to treat others with fairness, to give the ignorant some common sense, to give the young man sound advice, and give the wise even more wisdom than he has. So the question is, what then is wisdom, and why is it so valuable in our lives with reference to the decisions and choices that we make? As defined, the 20th century encyclopedia of religious knowledge defines wisdom like this. 
It says it is a realistic approach to the problems of life. You know, I don't believe that we are oversimplifying the act of wisdom or the idea or the concept of wisdom to say it so simply as that, a realistic approach to the problems of life. Homer Haley offered this definition of wisdom. He said, Wisdom is insight into the underlying causes and significance or consequence of things, which insight enables one to apply to the best end the knowledge which he has. You know, it is true that a person cannot go through life without knowledge, especially with reference to Bible knowledge. The Bible says that there was a people that was destroyed for lack of knowledge. It is very important that we study and study diligently all the things that are going to equip us in our life. That is found in God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, The Word of God is sufficient. The Word of God is all that we need with reference to that. But knowledge is not wisdom. Knowledge is something that we must have, but wisdom is teaching us how it is that we would apply the knowledge that we have from day to day. Let me just say this. You could have the knowledge on a subject. You can have Bible knowledge about a religious matter from God's Word and be right. And you can go without wisdom and not take it to the lost in a rightful way and do more damage than good. You see, we need to learn by wisdom how we're going to take the knowledge that we have and apply it to the circumstances in life. That's what wisdom is all about. Something that is so sadly lacking today. Like one man said one time, though, it's not difficult. One man said, you don't have to be listed in who's who to know what's what. People are lacking, as Daryl used to say all the time, and I know some of, some of the uh, uh, people of our parents' age would say that people are lacking good, old-fashioned, common horse sense. You know, that is true today. Young people, let me just say this. Don't look at the, those that have gray hair and look at them as people that have just old fogies and don't know right from wrong and possibly could not possibly understand what young people are going through with reference to our decisions. Listen, they have more common sense than perhaps we may ever have in our life because it is sadly lacking today. We need to feed off of their wisdom because of their experience and I'll get back to that later in greater detail. But let me talk to you about the concept of applying what we know very best to every situation. Say for an example, you go to work one day, you're a Christian, and your boss is not a Christian. You go to work and your boss unjustifiably yells at you, creates a big scene, belittles you, does something to you that you did not deserve. How would you handle that? What if a husband came home after a hard day's work? Oh, he worked hard all day long. He walks in the door. He didn't deserve this. He didn't have this coming. But his wife comes at him with both cannons as he walks in the door. How are we going to handle that? Let's flip it over, though. 
The poor wife, she could be at home too, doing nothing wrong. The husband could have a rotten day, could have had everything happen in his life rotten that day, and walk in the door and beat up his wife verbally. How's she going to handle that? All the circumstances. What if your brother in Christ comes to you in an unfriendly manner and belittles you in some way? My point is this. You cannot change what is done to you that somebody else chooses to do. You have nothing you can do about that. So we need to not focus on what another does. The only thing that we have control over is how are we going to react? How are we going to respond? What are we going to say? Let me just say this, though. I freely admit that I don't always respond properly. There are times if Tina says something to me that I might say something back that I probably shouldn't have been so harsh about. I'm not saying that I always handle it or respond correctly. What I do know is what the Bible teaches, and the Bible teaches how you and I need to respond to those that come at us in an unfavorable fashion. Well, here's the choices. When someone wrongs us in any way, shape, or form, and it matters not who it is, you have a choice to respond in one of three ways. Number one, you can strike back. You know, there's two ways to strike back. Both are wrong. Striking back is not responding. You can respond and not strike back, okay? But notice this. You can strike back physically, and we know that Christians can't do that. We know that Christians are passive people. Christians don't fight. In fact, it goes against the very nature of what Jesus Christ is and was on this earth. And so if we are going to be Christ-like, a disciple of His, following Jesus, we can't be a, a brawler. We can't be one who's going to strike back physically. But you know, we can also strike back verbally. And that could be equally as destructive. Striking back verbally. You know, there's another choice. We can choose to do absolutely nothing. And that's our choice. If someone wrongs us, we can do absolutely nothing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know the world says stand up for yourself. It really does. You've got to stand up for yourself. You've got to take care of number one in your life. I don't see that there. There's nothing wrong with responding. And I'm going to tell you just exactly what the Bible says on how you respond. But if you don't want to respond, that's okay too. But notice, the very best way to respond is like this. To react with a soft kind reply and brother sister that is a hard thing to do i don't know if there's anything more difficult than that right there when somebody comes at us and they're verbally attacking us and we want to strike back we want to do it so bad we can't stand it and then we oftentimes though we'll go ahead and give a soft answer because that's what the bible teaches but we want an ulterior motive you see it's like pouring coals on their head that'll get them no, that's not the heart or the attitude behind it. The Bible says, though, when one would do us wrong, when we are kind back, it is true, it's like pouring hot coals on their head. You know why? Because they want to fight. They want you to respond so they can get madder, 
so they can strike back more forcibly, so they could cause them to get worked up into a frenzy and win the battle against you. But hear the words of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1 when he said, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Wisdom is the insight which helps us decide what's the very best thing to do on all of those occasions. And so let's look at the value now of wisdom. The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are actually discourses extolling the value of wisdom. For example, we find the virtue of wisdom is seen in the prosperous life that it can produce. In Proverbs chapter 3, beginning there in verse 13, it says this, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. Listen, she is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Look at the prosperous life of the person that has wisdom in their life. Greater than the value of all the jewels in the world combined, if he has her, that's wisdom, happy is he. He goes on to say this, Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. I wonder if in all the aspirations and the goals and all the things that we have in life, I wonder where wisdom comes into play. Of all the things that we really want to retain or acquire, I wonder if wisdom is truly at the top of our list. Wisdom's value is also found in that it guards us against the pitfalls that are out there. You know, there are many pitfalls that I can talk about tonight. I'm going to mention three pitfalls that are found in the book of Proverbs. We can't go through that. We could preach many sermons on this subject of wisdom. We could talk about many of the pitfalls. We could talk about a lot of those things. I'll just mention three. Number one... There's a pitfall that wisdom will aid us in or help us from falling into, and that is evil companionship. You know, how many times have we either said or heard it say they just got tied up or they got tangled up or they just got mixed up with the wrong crowd? How many times has a good person, a good Christian, been led astray because of the wrong crowd. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible clearly states how to not fall into that trap, how to not fall into that pitfall. It is very important, and yes, it does matter who we hang out with in our life. In Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, hear these words of old. My son, if sinners entice thee, Consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as they that go down into the pit. 
We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them, and refrain thy foot from their path. Let me just say this. I know we touched on this not too long ago about temptation. Not talking about that specifically now. Talking about evil companionship. Now, you ever have a friend that was living in sin? And that friend wanted you to partake of or participate in or hang out with them? I have never had, I've had a lot of worldly friends. I surely have in my life. I have never had a worldly friend that wanted to live in sin that was happy for me because I was a Christian. No, misery loves company. Another thing, too, they don't want the righteous life of the Christian to constantly remind themselves of what they are not. So what do they want? They want you to cast in your lot with them. They want to say, look, let's all have one purse. Let's be together. Let's go do this. They are more concerned with pulling you away from the Lord than they are in supporting you as you live the Christian life. They don't care about you in that way. And anybody of all the people in the world, and I've had people that have told me, I love you. We're going to be together forever. Friends, pals, no matter what, all the days of our life. If a person loves you, if a person wants to be your friend, they will never wish eternal hell on you. And that is what a person is destined for when they partake in those evil and sinful things. The life of a Christian condemns the sinner. How many have ruined their lives because of unwise choices? And when one has made the decision to follow those who are living in sin, have paid the price for the rest of their life. You know, that's sobering to me. This morning we talked about forgiveness, and absolutely there is not a sin in this world that a person cannot be forgiven of. But there is a difference between forgiveness and consequence. If a person goes out and destroys their body and uses uh, IV drugs or participates in other illicit relationships they should not and they, can't, and they get a disease that's going to take their life, chances are they're still going to die. Forgiveness by the blood of Jesus does not take away the disease or the sickness or the consequence of what you've done. And so wisdom keeps somebody from falling into that pitfall and running with the wrong crowd and then turning into the person that they should not be. How sad is it when a person ruins their entire life because of the choice to follow evil companions? Secondly, though, Proverbs, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 8, talks about the immoral woman. And notice what he says. He says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable. 
that thou canst not know them. Hear me, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. I'm going to tell you something. There are people in this world, boys and girls, men and women alike, who the Christian has no business being in a relationship with. I'm going to tell you something. When you talk about relationships, especially the marriage relationship, that is the closest tie and closest relationship that a person will ever have with another person. You know what one of the beautiful things about being married is? There's a lot of beautiful things about it. That's this. Living in a Christian home, Tina knows me better than anybody in this world knows me. She knows what you don't. You know what's beautiful about that? Even in my weaknesses, she still loves me and chooses to be with me. In a relationship that is governed by God, where God is number one in the home. Oh, we're not perfect. We're just trying to follow that book. When you do that, the marriage relationship is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. But I'm going to tell you something. If you choose somebody out of the world because of physical attraction or any other false idea of what love is, I'm going to tell you something. Use your head. Use your head. Think with your head. Because I'm going to tell you something. You get the wrong one. You hear what he said about that? Oh, it looks sweet on the outside. It looks like it's going to be good. Oh, no. She's as bitter as wormwood. Pretty sobering, isn't it? Relationships with these types might appear exciting and even harmless. But immorality is one of the quickest ways to destroy oneself physically, emotionally, and spiritually as well. But, on the other hand, and it is just this easy, the exercise of wisdom spares one from total ruin. One more, though, that he talks about. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, you know what he says? He says, one of the pitfalls also is laziness. Do you ever stop to consider that laziness is wrong? Notice what he says in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. He said, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty, listen, come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an, armed, as an unarmed man. What happens when you're a sluggard? And that's a lazy person, a person that is idle, a person that is not taking care of their responsibility. I'll tell you this, though. You can be a sluggard in the physical world, and you can also be a sluggard in the spiritual world, and I simply say it that way, talking about with your service to God. Being a sluggard, being lazy, is not acceptable in the eyes of God. Let me just say this. 
He says, when you're lazy, poverty's coming. And it's going to overtake you like an unarmed man in battle. Can you imagine if all of a sudden you were being attacked and guns were on you? And say, for example, you were a soldier. And here comes the attack of the enemy and all the weapons. You would be completely helpless. You would be unarmed and helpless. That's what he said it's like. Here you are, you're a sluggard, you're lazy, and poverty's going to attack you as sure as an attacker would an unarmed man. Something else he says, though. You know, I can't fathom this. I'd never thought this. Of all the days of my short life, I have never considered this until I read that verse of Scripture when he said, Considerest thou the ant. I don't know about you, but I don't like ants. I don't like them at all. Ants are a nuisance. You ever be in a picnic and all of a sudden there's ants attacking your food? You ever lay down under a tree somewhere to take a nap on an afternoon and the cool breeze blowing and you're enjoying your, your time there and all of a sudden you get feeling like there's things crawling on you and it's ants? What a horrible thing they are. That's what he says to the sluggard. You look at the ant as your example. And the ant is your example. Why is that? They're busy. What else do they do? They work when they're not being guided, when nobody watches. I'm going to tell you, that's a great example for you and I. To work, it's easy to work when somebody's going to watch us. Let me just say this. All that are here in this room that have a job, let me just ask you a question. I know that if your boss is standing there, we all want to impress our employer. We do, sure. But when the employer leaves, would you work just as hard? Would you work as hard? You should. You need to give everything you have. In fact, you need to do it like service unto the Lord, the Bible says. The ant is described as one who is an example to the lazy sluggard because the ant will work without guidance. He will work without credit. He will work without praise. He will be smart. He will be diligent. And what does it say? He'll go out and get the harvest. He'll go out and get the food when he needs it and store it for a time when he will not be able to do so. That's the example he gives to the sluggard, to the lazy person. Think about that. Think about how you would work in your life if no one watches. He says to the, lady, lazy, to the lazy, go watch that ant, and so on. A lazy man is one who is destined for poverty, and again, wisdom provides a much better way of life. A man said one time, that a man would never lose his shirt if he's not afraid to roll up his sleeves. You know, I'll tell you, I've seen Christians from time to time do this, kind of sit back and want to pray real hard for God to give them what they need, but they fail to do their part. You see, you pray, absolutely, you pray, pray hard, but pray within the rose with the hoe in your hand. 
pray while you're working. That's what we have to do. We have to work like everything depends on us and pray like it depends on God and give everything we've got. Don't be the sluggard. Don't be the lazy. Finally, wisdom provides a much better way of life that is not poverty, that is not destined for all of those failures. Let's ask ourselves now the value of Proverbs with reference to wisdom. How then is wisdom gained? Wisdom is so important. We've talked about that. Question is, how do you get it? Wisdom is normally gained through one of two sources or a combination of the both. Number one, through years of trial and error. Everyone that's here has gleaned or gained some wisdom in their life because of decisions that you made that were wrong and you failed. And what happens? You pick yourself up and you learn a life's lesson. Yes, indeed, when you do that, then you have wisdom. But notice, this is a person, though, or a person that only gains wisdom in that way. That's not smart. Because that's a person that's not willing to listen to the failure of another to learn a lesson. That's a person that says, I don't care what your advice is. I don't care what your advice is. I'm going to do it all on my own. i got to find my own way. Sad, isn't it, when people do that? One man said one time, experience comes from what we have done. But wisdom comes from what we have done badly. How else do you get it? Well, first of all, there are disadvantages of gaining wisdom in this way. First of all, much of, life's, much of one's lifetime can be wasted trying to learn through trial and error. In doing so, one is forced to live with the consequences of their error. And very sadly, very sadly, some folks never survive the error to get the blessing of wisdom. What's the better way? What's the better way to get wisdom then? And that is, number one, through the proven experience of others. This is possible only if one is willing to heed the advice of another. Advantages of this, though, are very wonderful and blessings to us. Advantages of getting wisdom this way is this. You can avoid wasting years and years of life through trial and error. Secondly, you will be able to experience life unburdened with the consequences of earlier mistakes that you have made in your life. Like one said one time, a wise man learns from the mistakes of others because nobody lives long enough to make them all themselves. The book of Proverbs is so valuable. It's a valuable tool in our attempt to be wise we don't have to constantly try to reinvent the wheel. We can go straight to the book of Proverbs and find that in it, we find provided the wisdom of God himself. In Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, hear these words. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding... Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searcheth for her as for hid treasures, 
Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. You know, the Bible says that we must seek after, but also we must pray for wisdom. God gives it liberally, it says. But also, the things that we learn from our knowledge of God's word, pointing toward the things that are the wisest choices in our life. If we will diligently seek after the wisdom that's described in God's word and pray to God that we would have it, we will have it liberally as he has promised it to us. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Finally, though, you cannot have wisdom in your life without Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is not in the equation, then you do not have the wisdom that the Bible speaks of. For Paul said in Colossians 2 and 3, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In conclusion, somebody wrote, said this, I wrote it down, thought it was worth passing on. He said, Wisdom is the reward that you get for a lifetime of listening when you'd rather talk. Man, how hard it is to not talk. How hard it is to not have an opinion. That's hard to do. We all like to talk. I love doing it. It's difficult. But wisdom comes when you listen, when you read, when you understand, and when you pray. And you seek after counsel that is wise from those that have already made such mistakes. That's a person that has wisdom because they've been silent, they've listened when they'd rather talk. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.